Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. Let the workplace speak, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. Hi. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of these shows, we look at some aspect of that of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems, how to install the language of our current level of operational excellence, even if that level is not quite as high as we wish it would be or know it will be, we do that. When we make that level concrete and specific by implementing visual devices, visual mini systems, visual management systems, we can literally see how we think and track how that thinking functions. That's what the visual workplace is about because we've captured our intelligence physically by way of visual solutions. Embedding our thinking into the living landscape of work, it doesn't matter whether that's a factory, a hospital, an office, an open pit mine. That's letting the workplace speak. And why do we do it? We do it for the incredible bottom line benefits, stunning benefits, 15 to 30% increase in productivity, rock solid safety, vastly improved quality, on time delivery, all the time, every time, and shrinking costs, of course. And we do it for the splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels, including management. And you know what the third reason is? We enjoy ourselves along the way. We enjoy ourselves at work. In a visual workplace, we can perform with exactitude. And even as we do that, the enterprise becomes increasingly aligned and fluid and flexible. And flexible. Oh, wonderful. So welcome, welcome. (laughs) This is my first show in nearly three years. Some of you may have listened in on my previous shows on Voice America, The Visual Workplace. This one's called Visual Workplace Radio. It ran once a week, every week for five years. And then life happened and I took some time off. And now I'm back. I'm back (laughs) and very happy to be back. I can honestly say that doing this radio show, doing it once a week, every week for over 200 weeks was the highlight of each of those weeks. I love speaking with you. I love sharing with you, my learning for, well, well over 30 years in the field about visuality, people, executives, implementation, culture, training, coaching, and on and on and on. I love reaching out into the world and across the boundaries of time and space and national identity. And now we're going to do it all over again. Visuality is a universal language. There is no company and there is no person it cannot help. How do I know? Because it already does, it already has. We are surrounded by visual devices. We are surrounded by visual devices, by visual information sharing. It's everywhere. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. In this show, which is the first of what I plan to be a long, long run, I want to set up the basics. Basic concepts and principles and definitions. I'll tell you a few stories. 
so we can all get on the same page. I'm going to paint some pictures and start building a foundation that we can stand on in order to learn more things and delve into the layers of what I call the visual workplace. Another name for that is workplace visuality. Maybe you call it visual management. That's okay for right now. I'll give you my take on how visual management is defined and how it fits into the visual workplace. I'll do that in a few shows from now, but they're not the same thing. And it's important for you to get the difference because you'll be able to use them both. So that'll be an important show for many people. And yes, later we'll discuss many other topics related to workplace visuality, including visual pull systems and metrics and production control boards and visual metrics. I said that already, didn't I? Visual problem solving, (laughs) the visual machine, the visual lean office, da-da-da-da-da. We'll talk about war rooms and obey rooms. Yes, and there's a difference between them. We'll talk about practices and principles of visual leadership, one of my all-time favorite topics. And of course... Hoshin and visual problem solving will will spend plenty, plenty, plenty of time on deployment as well. How do you implement so that it sticks? How do you make sure it's the start that doesn't stop us? All the do's and don'ts and what I've learned. How to build an infrastructure, an improvement infrastructure, lots of things and all of them great. We'll do all that. And we'll move along this together. And we'll talk about 5S and 6S and workplace organization. That indispensable first step on your visual journey, but also on your lean journey. How to go further, what to do when you're stalled. All of that and cultural transformation. I want to say yada, 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 but this is really great stuff. We'll talk about it. And today, beginning today, we'll talk about how visuality puts the power in empowerment. There are so many elements to a fully functioning visual workplace. You'll see. And you'll see that every workplace is about one thing. One thing. And what is that one thing? It is about translating vital information into exact performance, into an exact outcome. Translating information into performance. Hmm? Information made meaningful. When we go further along, I hope that you will see what I see. The visual workplace is about language. A language that every employee can learn to speak. Whether an assembler or a CEO, a planner or a material handler, a supervisor, doctor, nurse, maintenance person, receptionist, every employee. This is a language we learn to speak, and it's a physical language. It's made up of visual devices. There's a technology behind this. There's a logic. It's been my pleasure over these many years to codify that logic. We'll also get into training issues and how to work with your in-house trainers and outhouse trainers and trainers of the outhouse. <laughs> So many things, so many things, and there's plenty of time. Hmm? Maybe we'll do interviews, we'll see. And you know what else? We will discuss your questions and your comments. If you have a question, send it to radio at visualworkplace.com, radio at visualworkplace.com. If you have a comment, if you have a story, if you want to send in a picture, or if you want to send in a landscape at work that you want to solve and you say, how do I begin this thing? 
or if you want me to, <clears throat> may I say, assess a level of 5S or a level of one of your visual devices or mini systems, I'd be happy to do that. I'll probably give you a call before the show and say, hey, tell me what's going on here. What's the outcome and how does this thing work? Hmm? How does this thing work? My show in that way becomes our show, your show, and how great is that? Hmm? So I'm very, very, very thrilled to be here, as I'm sure you can hear. So let's get started. But first, I want to send out a special thanks to Voice America, the business channel. That's my radio station. And to my esteemed executive producer, the incomparable Sandra Rogers. (laughs) It is good to be home again. Thank you so much. Thank you. So let me give you a little bit about my credentials, my background, so that you can see why I think I have a right to tell you anything at all. After all, you're experts at your own work. Well, I kind of think I've become an expert at this work. I started my work in operational excellence in 1983 when I joined a young company that some of you know about. It it was called Productivity, Inc., though it was only a dream in 1983. Did I say 1983? I meant to. 1983, over the next 10 years, Productivity, Inc. became the premier source for knowledge and know-how coming out of Japan, the so-called Japanese miracle. It was under the leadership of Norman Bodek, whom some of you know, and he's still with us. Under his leadership, he gathered together and made a place for the great practitioners of the Japanese manufacturing arena, typified, I think, best by the Toyota production system, TPS, or also Canon did an amazing job, uh, Fujifilm, Komatsu, another great, great production system. These practitioners became the brain trust at Productivity, Inc. Ryuji Fukuda from Sumitomo, I worked with him for years. Shigeo Shingo, Norman published how many of his books? 10, 15, 20, but he didn't just publish the book. He made sure that the books were translated into knowable English. The English is exquisite. A lot of those translations were done by Drew Dillon, working closely with another colleague of mine, Connie Dyer, who had a real sense of language as well. Wonderful, wonderful editor and an attorney. We worked with Nakajima. We worked with the whole uh, JMA and... Oh, my God, the the initials escape me right now. I don't know why, but <laughs> JIPM, mm, the, the, the uh, maintenance group. We worked with Hirano and Harada and Iwata and Nakao and Yamada. These were, and some of them still are, the great thinkers coming out of Japan, the hands-on practitioners who gave so much to help our understanding here in the West I worked with them all in my position as training and consulting director at Productivity. And in that capacity, I had the chance to travel widely. Golly, I was so lucky. I went everywhere. I toured Japan and I took study missions to Japan and Australia and India. And oh, jeepers, it was unbelievable. I learned so much. And of course, it wasn't exactly glamorous, but it was so exciting. 
it was amazing. And I should probably confess, although it's a little bit early in our relationship, but in my earlier life, way back when, I was a Latin teacher. Yeah, I was a Latin teacher. I loved Latin, and I taught it. I was a good teacher. And then I expanded my horizons by becoming an actor in New York City and in Europe. There are some funny stories about that. And somewhere along the way, I was executive director of CSC, the Community Service Council, which is the research citizen participation arm of the United Way. And I also helped to start some hospices in different states, in Massachusetts and in Indiana. Another place that escapes me now, that was important work, working with volunteers and working with patients and families in a crucial period, a crucial period of life. That was my background. And then through a story that I probably will never tell you, I landed at productivity. Was I surprised? I'd never been to a factory in my life. My mother worked in a factory, but I always waited for her outside. She'd come out and we'd walk home together. So, so, All of that was before 1983. Before 1983, I had never been in a factory in my life. And when I first entered one, well, frankly, the heavens opened. I remember I was blown away. I was blown away. I was home. The thing that got to me early on was an understanding that when I entered a workplace, whether it was a hospital, a hospital, a military depot, factory, whatever, an office, a school, that what I was seeing was this. I was seeing thought in action, thought manifest, human thought turned into form, turned into a product, turned into a service, turned into a function. My most vivid memory of that was seeing a 72-ton locomotive engine traveling across a production floor in a plant outside of Chicago called Electromotor. Electromotor. I was dumbstruck. There it was, silver, shining, exquisite human thought. Our power to put thought into form 72 tons of exquisitely machined engine that would someday take a lot of people somewhere in the world, somewhere else, and it all began with thought. Wow. You know, going to factories, especially in the first couple of decades, but even nowadays, I just get blown away by the commitment and the willingness of people to work, to work together and to work and create. Something else happened to me early on. I would like to tell you about it because it was was really uh, my introduction or my, what can I call it, my initiation into visuality. I was on my first study mission to Japan. I took a group from Dana. And we went to a a a Toyota facility, this was in 1984, we went to a final assembly plant in in the Toyota group. 
And there I saw something strange and at the time unexplainable. I was watching track with me and see if you can imagine, see what I, I saw. I was watching a Toyota operator put on the two tires in final assembly on his side of the vehicle. A second operator worked on the other side. This was final assembly. The tires were bolted on. The line was indexed to the tightening of the bolts, the torque. Five bolts, impact wrench. When the five bolts were on each of the two tires on both sides of the vehicle, of the chassis, and correctly torqued, tightened, the line indexed, the line moved. The vehicle that had been worked on moved further down the line for the next operation. The next vehicle took its place, and the tire bolting thing began again. If the line did not index, in other words, did not move forward, if the car just sat there, it meant that one or both of the operators had missed a bolt or two or whatever. So I'm standing there watching, and the operator on my side is putting on his five bolts, and I'm watching him do it, and I'm pretty sure the operator on the other side was doing the same thing, but my operator is watching closely. They must have done a good job because the line moved the chassis with it. But then I noticed that my operator did something really weird. While he was waiting for the next chassis, the next auto, He put his impact wrench in a bucket of pink powder, bright pink powder. Wow, how strange is that? He's going to get pink powder all over his wrench, and he did. Now, why would he do that, I thought. So I watched. I stayed, and I watched. And the next car came, and he put the tires on with getting pink powder all over the darn thing, all over the bolts. Why did he do that? And I'm going to ask you, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why would he make a mess? I know it would all go down the drain in final final assembly when they wash the car, but why would he make a mess? Huh? Why? <laughs> well, then it hit me the way I'm sure it's hit you already. Human thought and action visually. The pink powder, yes, it was his insurance, his visual insurance, that if the line did not index, didn't move, he knew that he would be able to spot the bolt that he missed. Maybe he sneezed, (laughs) and lost track. Maybe he got distracted for some other reason. If the line didn't index, he would be able to tell. Now, years later, this event became the two prime principles of visuality. Two prime principles. The first principle is this, prime one, to tell merely by looking. So he could tell merely by looking that he had done all five bolts. He could tell. Looking got the information I need. So that's prime one, to tell merely by looking. But he also did prime two. I didn't have words for this at the time. This was like 35 years ago. Who's counting? The second principle, prime two, to tell the difference merely by looking. Those are different. To tell merely by looking, that's really good. To tell the difference merely by looking, 
there's only two principles, prime principles. Those are the two prime principles of visuality, and they inform everything. They inform the entire paradigm and all its methodologies, of which there are nine. Production control boards, visual leadership, operator-led visuality, visual standards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There it was. <gasps> it hit me like, I don't know, a shower of gold or a ton of bricks. The bolts were talking to him. The pink powder was the visual device. It was a thing, an apparatus, a mechanism that allowed the bolts to share information, to communicate vital information with the operator without speaking a word. Giving him feedback on his performance, alerting him to quality issues, helping him do the right thing every time, all the time, exactly right. I was struck dumb. I couldn't move. I just stood there. I'm sure my mouth dropped open and I stood there catching bugs because what I did get was the big implication. I just couldn't wrap my mind around how big it was. But that huge thing happened right in front of my eyes and I wanted to know more. And I've spent the last three decades more (laughs) watching and thinking and expressing and defining and articulating and codifying that huge thing, putting it into form, and I call it the visual workplace and workplace visuality, of which I will say as a footnote, visual management is a subset. It's a very important subset, but it is a part of the picture. We'll spend a whole show, if not three, on that. So I want you to get that story We're going to see how much more we can squeeze into this, our first show. I've got some big plans, but we may not make it. I'm not sure. But let me clarify or establish some definitions for you. So you've got prime one and prime two. To tell merely by looking, to tell the difference merely by looking. Play with those. Here's a definition in a moment of a visual workplace. My take on what a visual workplace is, how it works, and why it works, and why it's indispensable, is like this. This is not the definition yet. It's coming in a moment. The visual workplace is not about buckets and brooms or posters and signs. It is a compelling operational imperative that is crucial to meeting your daily production goals, your performance goals, central to your war on waste vastly reduced lead times, and an accelerated flow, here's the pivot, that you control at will. Getting things, the things of your day, done safer, more efficiently, more effectively, with improved quality, and no sacrifice to speed. Safe. Whether you are an operator or CEO, because visuality is a language, We all speak it or we all must learn to speak it. And when we do, the missing information in our workplace disappears. And our workplace is equipped, made capable of being a partner with us in our work. Definition of a visual workplace. A visual workplace is a work environment that is self-ordering, self-regulating, 
self-explaining. I'll say that a different way. The visual workplace is a work environment that is self-ordering, self-explaining, self-regulating. Because it explains itself, it can regulate itself. Self-regulating and self-improving on higher levels. You have a built-in PDCA loop in visuality. There are automatic feedbacks. And boy, you pick them up instantly because the eye is much faster than the mouth. (laughs) No one has to explain it. You see it. Where what is supposed to happen does happen. Visual workplace, visual work environment. Where what is supposed to happen does happen on time, every time, day or night because of visual devices. You take those devices away and that Scenario I just described where what is supposed to happen won't happen. You may be able to push it or audit it in place, but it won't flow. Hmm? So much to say about this, but I'm going to not get on that detour because I want to develop the, the foundation first. So this is the barest beginning of our understanding of the power of visuality. But these definitions are important. And I want to really emphasize that what I'm describing, the visual workplace, applies to any venue, any setting, any place where work happens. Bank, assembly plant, utilities, open pit mine, dry cleaners, military depot, doctor's office, large metropolitan hospital, engineering firm, purchasing, restaurant, anywhere that work happens. And in nursing homes and in your home, especially if you have a lot of kids And you're a busy working parent. And especially if they have special needs. We'll probably do a show on visuality and autism or visuality and special need kids. Very, very important. And in nursing homes where people are less capable of making decisions. Oh, it can be so helpful. We'll get to it. Visuality makes places that house complex human interactions coherent, optimizing them, allowing them to function at their very best, and then giving a platform for them to improve, and then giving a platform for them to improve. And here's a big thought. Visuality is a language and we humans already speak it. That's right. We are visual beings. Therefore, we live in a visual world and not the other way around. The world around us does not contain visual devices so that we can learn how to be visual. Not at all. The world around us contains visual devices because we, because we need it. Because we need it. We already understand and speak the visual language. And as a result, our world reflects that language. Why not also the workplace? Hmm? Why not? Let me illustrate that for you. Let's go for a ride. We're going to go for a ride to Grandma's house. (laughs) And we'll see this kind of in living color, I hope. Visual Workplace Radio. We'll see it in in, in living color. So Grandma has her big 93rd birthday blowout next Saturday. And she tells me that she wants you to be there. She'll pay for everything. She'll pay for your flight. She'll pay for your car. She'll pay for your overnight. 
it's a big party. Fly in on Saturday, bright and early. Pick up a rented car. Go to Grandma's house. Be there at noon. This is her only condition. Don't be late. Don't be late. You don't want to mess with Grandma. (laughs) Don't be late. I'm going to email you the address. You will help you with the tickets, everything. So she has two rules. Don't be late and you have to get to my house, Grandma says, without asking any questions. Without asking anyone any questions and no, when you get the car of your dreams, it cannot have a GPS. Okay? Nor can you follow a taxi, pay a taxi to take you there. You have to get there. Hmm? Because her granddaughter is uh, a visual workplace uh, a crazy person. <laughs> you have to get there visually. It's going to be a great party. So if you decide to play by the rules, rent yourself a Ferrari, deep green with a Bose sound system, thank you, Grandma, how are you going to get to Grandma's house on time, in one piece, safely, without asking any questions, without speaking a word, visuality to the rescue? Visual information sharing will help you along the way. That's what it's for. Visual devices and systems, systems of devices that are on and in the road itself. Yes, the route to Grandma's house is embedded with visual devices. What do I mean? Well, you tell me. Think about it. What mechanisms or things are already in or near the road that will help you get your questions answered along the way? You've got the address without speaking a word. Precise answers, exactly when and as you need them, and that's going to keep you safe and timely. Can you name them? Can you name them? You start. You start. Okay? I'm listening. Yeah, first of all, you can't use your phone. You can't use maps in the phone. That's a GPS, but you can use a road map. These things exist in paper. <laughs> you can find them also on your phone. Just don't turn on that traveling mechanism. A map, chuck full of information. You open and unfold the map. You lay it out on the counter or the rental counter, and you say, let me see. I have got to go, for example, if you've never been to Long Branch, New Jersey, which is where Grandma lives. You fly into Newark. That's better than JFK. <laughs> And you say, let me see, how do I get to, oh, there's Long Branch. Okay, 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 okay. I see the route. Okay, I got got the orientation. I got the overall framework. And next you look for what? You look for signs on the side of the road. They're visual devices. North, south, highways, names. You use your map as a guide. You make your way. Road signs help you along the way. And you know what else? There are other visual devices that are more detailed, that are looking after your performance as a driver, not just where you're going, but how you're going. For example, yeah, do you see them? In the road itself, we say in the value field, because when you're driving, you add value by moving along that road. That is your value field. We'll talk about that later, of course. Use that as we play out the methodology. So, you look at the road and you say, oh, you know, look at those borders. 
You'll call them lines. Look at those borders that are keeping me in my lane and keeping those other cars in my lane. That's making it safer. Safer. And look at some of them are dashed. Hmm. They carry a message that's different than just drive. They carry a message, a dashed line versus a solid line. Depending on what side you are, it either means don't pass or if you want to pass, this is the time. Huh? Right there in the road. Like your supervisor running right alongside. Right alongside of the car keeping up with you. Pass, don't pass. Pass, don't pass. There's a complicated intersection. Oh, look at those arrows right in the value field, right in the roadway. Helping me get around that curve. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Constantly giving me information, vital information, exactly when and as I need it. Immediately, information at the point of use. Clear as a bell. I'm finding my way. I've never been here before. I'm finding my way. On my own, me and my partner. Visuality. Road visuality. Oh, boy. Some clever person set this up for me in advance. Yes, it was those civil engineers. And you know what? You're going to do it in your plant. You're going to be the engineer of visuality in your plant for your work. You'll see. You'll see. You need information. You're going to put it there so the next time you need it, it'll be waiting for you. And you'll partner up with the physical workplace and you will feel safe. Hmm? Others will do the same. Let's look inside the car, flooded with information sharing, visual information sharing. Speedometer, fuel gauge, lights, vital information everywhere. Sound system, Steely Dan, oh boy. You have plenty of time. You're on time. You're going to get there on time. You hit the secondary road system now. You get off the highway. That'll be either the Turnpike or the Garden State if you're going to my mom's house. Grandma. I don't dare call her Grandma. She's my mom. She would throw something at me. (laughs) When she was 72, I told somebody, and she kicked me. (laughs) She has always claimed to be 39 to the day she passed on. (laughs) She's not Grandma. (laughs) Anyway, you're a secondary road system. You're going into town. And you know what? You're listening to Steely Dan. You're listening to Steely Dan on Bose and on your Bose system, and you don't see it's time to slow down. You don't see, hey, look out for the kids. You don't see children's playing, children's playing. Even though the sign is in crayon yellow with big black letters, the most visible combination in a field of color, the human eye sees yellow first. The research has been done. In a field of color, the human eye will see yellow first. But you don't see it. Your behavior doesn't change. You don't get the message. You don't slow down. We have to do something quick. We have to protect the kids and the doggies. Luckily, the town fathers and mothers have had a lot of experience with outsiders coming in and speeding along their roadways. And they know that this is going to be a problem. And so they get ready for it. 
They have built something into the road that will carry the message, that will make you slow down and take the choice away from you. You don't have to remember because the road will remember. And what do you think that is? How do we make sure that you slow down from 50 to 15 on time, each time? What's there that makes you do it? You and your Ferrari. Hmm? Do you see it? Yep. That's what, right there. Speed bumps. Speed bumps in the road. Hmm? You may not even notice the first speed bump. They usually come in pairs. Until you're airborne and then you say, oh my goodness, I better slow down. Here comes the second one. And you slow down. What I want you to get for the purposes of our conversation is this. Foundationally, that speed bump is information that's been translated into a device, a visual device that is more powerful than the sign that says, slow down children playing. Slow down children playing as a sign is optional. We can notice it or fail to notice it. But as a speed bump, man, you get on that road, you're going to encounter it. It's waiting for you. It's got the message. It will deliver it. And your behavior will change. So what we're talking about is visual information, sharing visual information in order to get a behavior change. You know another word for that? It's called performance. It's called delivery. It's called doing the right thing. A visual workplace is not made up of hundreds of visual devices. It's made up of thousands of devices. They are uncountable, even though if you have ISO, you're going to have to count them. You're going to have to track them. That's easy, and we can talk about that later, too. Thousands of visual devices, not made just by you, but by everyone who needs and wants to align their behavior to standard, if you wish, to do the right thing on time, quickly, safely. That's all of us. We'll talk about the human will in a moment, hmm? and a lot in our time together. So the speed bumps are there, we get the behavior change, and whammo, you are at grandma's house. Nobody got hurt, including you, and it's time to party. Hmm? The whole trip is a perfect demonstration of what already exists out there in the community of how visuality works and why, and why it is personally and for the community very important. Take that paradigm, bring it to work. Don't stop at a few little signs, a little color coding, a few lines on the floor. No siree. You're installing a language, and you have to learn to speak that language first. And then when you learn that language, you'll teach others. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. I want to expand on, we've got some time left. I want to expand on a little, uh, on a few things. It's about the translation of vital information into exact behavior. This is another core paradigm, core relationship. The translation of vital information into exact behavior. In a visual workplace, we translate vital information into visual devices, and those devices ensure that our behavior is exact, is safe, is timely, is correct. We embed the intelligence 
that is our operational system into the living landscape of work, into the physical production floor, into the office, into the hospital, into the school. We embed that information in the form of visual devices into the value field where work happens. But in a non-visual workplace, in a pre-visual workplace, people are running around trying to tell you what to do, trying, trying to remind you what to do. Managers manage and they micromanage. In a pre-visual workplace, there's supervision, micro-supervision, on-the-job training, classroom training, personal write-ups, personnel write-ups. This information muddle transfers itself to meetings. Online resources are used the same way in meetings and questions and endless questions several times a day all the time. And even then, some to a lot of the information remains missing or hard to get to or unreliable or not up to date or impossible to catch. And so companies mistakenly glom onto LCD monitors as the solution, figuring incorrectly, well, if you can see it, you're going to do it. Oh, yeah, no, that's not the way it works. The complaint, the one deficiency that nearly every company puts at the top of its list of problems is communication. Communication, oh, yeah? Here's one of my favorite quotes. This is by George Bernard Shaw, a very famous playwright who had a way with words. He said, the greatest problem in communication is the illusion that it has occurred. Amen to that. What happens when information is not available when and as you need it? What happens when you have to come to understand that the most, most of the information that is shared is unreliable, incomplete, late, or just plain wrong? What happens to you? What happens to you who are us? What happens to us on the inside, let alone on the outside? What happens to a workforce that is faced with that as the rule, not the exception, what happens? What happens is that people get angry and combative. That's one side of the coin. Or they go the other way. They become numb or indifferent. They disassociate. The opposite of engage. Information is power, and the lack of information makes us powerless. If you want an empowered and aligned workforce, you must share information reliably, repeatedly, Visually, one of the primary purposes of the visual workplace is this, to liberate information and in the process to liberate the human will, to liberate the human will. Only when liberated can the will, your will and my will, align with the corporate intent. It's a choice, but most of us choose to align. If our will is liberated, is ours. Let me say that again. Only when the human will is liberated can it decide to align with the company's intent or decide not to. That is what freedom means in a work setting. Will you give your will over to the business or will you keep it to yourself and let it serve only your own personal interest? What organization doesn't want every employee to enroll in the corporate vision and mission and purpose and measures. But that enrollment is a personal choice. It cannot be done by mandate or seduction. Seduction is a temporary yes, 
in my experience, it cannot happen in an information-starved or an information-scarce work environment. Enrollment is always a choice. It cannot happen by decree. Our will is not for hire. However much we are paid, it comes free and only when it is freely given. Can it enroll in a purpose greater than oneself? We cannot make sound life-supporting decisions for ourselves or for our companies if we are afraid. So here we're talking about visuality as a language that liberates the human will because it shares information and that information is not hidden, it is not out of sight, it is not meted out by someone from the top, it is ours. And we move freely. Information is like a resource. If we don't have our full resources at our disposal, we are at risk. We are under threat. This is not fictitious. We know that we are at risk when information is not available when and as we need it, not even. We're not even mentioning the sense of disempowerment or victimhood that anchors this sorry state. Hmm? There are few threats as negatively potent to the human psyche as the absence of information or the presence of information that is unreliable, incomplete, inconsistent, untimely, irrelevant, imprecise, or simply wrong. So this is where the incredible benefits accrue to workplace visuality that have to do with strengthening your work culture. I have always been blown away by the immediacy and the power of people who begin to create a visual workplace that satisfies their need for information. Visuality is a pull system. The information is embedded so we can pull it to us when and as we need it. That makes us powerful. I would say at the beginning, that settles us down. That calms us down. That takes away the rancor. That takes away the justifiable complaint that the system is hurting me. It's the system's fault. I make my work environment powerful with information and then I use it, and I use it for your purposes. And it satisfies me. I'm not selling you snake oil. Yes, I am being emphatic. I've done this for many years, three decades, four decades. I've seen it happen. I've made it happen. I've helped others to make it happen. We'll talk about this later on. Many of you are doing lean and doing it well, doing it very well, excellently well. It is not enough by itself. And I'm not talking about the alphabet soup that's called lean, lean as everything. I'm talking about the predetermined engineering mechanism that establishes flow and, if you need it, pull and allows you to use time as an ally. I'm not selling you snake oil. 
This is simply a documented description of what I have lived and breathed and helped other companies do, and you can do it too. One of the big things that is a problem with workplace visuality is that people don't realize that they can have it and that it isn't about the devices. It's about the thinking that creates the devices, and that thinking is life-giving and culture-making. Bob Miller, who used to be the director of the Shingo Prize not too long ago, he said this, and he said it in writing, visuality doesn't just support a lean work culture, it creates it. Visuality creates the work culture of lean. Visuality puts feet and hands and teeth on the definition of cultural, pardon me, customer-driven cultural alignment. Hmm? Culture is a function of identity. Hmm? When you give everyone a voice through the visual language, their identity becomes true. We see it on the way to grandma's house. We see it in our roads and highways. We see it in our public spaces. Why not the workplace? Why not the workplace? Next time that you are in an airplane, next time, get a seat by the window and appreciate the powerful visual system that smooths the way for us to fly off and visit other places. Look out on the tarmac and look at the information. This wasn't so 20 years ago. We saw our first complex visual system in an airport in 1994. I was with Brett Balkima. He took the picture. It's in all of our work now. The same picture has been worked. The picture has been worked, (laughs) but it's there. The system is there. The tarmac talking to the pilot, talking to the people who work on the ground, the ground crew, becoming a partner in the hazardous and very high-pressured work of airports. Mm. Visuality is about thinking. That's why I called my company Visual Thinking, Inc., because it's about thinking and then the visual workplace evolves from there. Well, here's another little test you can take as you're driving, especially if you're driving. Don't close your eyes, but in your mind's eye, remove all the visual devices that you see on the roads and highways. Remove them in your imagination on your way to grandma's house, for example, or maybe back to the airport. And ask yourself, do you want to stay on that road in that car with your foot to the gas pedal without any visual information sharing on the road for you or anyone else? Oh, no, you don't. I'm guessing you have now a burning impulse to pull over, stop the car, get out, and walk the rest of the way to wherever you're going. With all the visual devices in the roads and highways removed, would you let a beloved family member drive anywhere? Of course not. Why would you allow that at work? Why at work? You get the picture, don't you? It's a scary picture. It's a primitive one. It's a pre-economic one, by the way. Ask yourself, what is the level of visual information sharing in your workplace 
and know that your answer will tell you if you need to go further. I cannot know from here, sitting with my earphones on my head and my beautiful Yeti mouth, I'm sorry, my beautiful Yeti microphone, (laughs) my beautiful Yeti microphone at my mouth, where you are on your journey to workplace visuality. I can't tell if you're chugging along, if you're stalled, if you've yet to start, but I do know that the visual workplace, the technologies of the visual workplace of which visual management is a part, can and will help. I do know that in its fullness, a fully functioning visual workplace can make the workplace speak in the many voices that are needed to unite and align the workforce and produce superior outcomes, outcomes that delight in making them. Ship delight, ship delight. How about that? Making them is part of the dance of work. How can you dance if you don't know? If you can't know? Okay? Think about your purpose and your higher purpose. And the purpose of this, our first show together, in it's been, what, three years? Two years, three years, long time, too long, was to map out for you a larger frame for the discussion of workplace visuality. I did over 200 shows across a period of five years, and I did not exhaust what there is to say about this. So we have things to do together. We have a lot of specifics to share interesting elements to discuss. We will unpeel the onion called workplace visuality and we will discover actionable principles and practices. I'll share with you how to do a full company conversion. It's a model I call the 10 doorways. You can visit our website, visualworkplace.com. I forgot to even mention it, visualworkplace.com and you can get books, our online training systems. There are lots and lots of ways we can work with you when and as you're ready, visualworkplace.com. But mostly I want you to think about these things. The purpose of today was to set the stage, to create a large context for the visual paradigm. I hope I succeeded, at least to some extent. I hope that you will be excited about what you could do and can do and will do. I want to say thank you. Thank you to each of you listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to all of you who are on the journey, improving your company, yourselves, and others. Send in your questions, your comments, your photos. We will post them on our website. We'll talk about them. Thank you for listening. I look forward to the next. I look forward to the next time. You bet I do. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.